New York, a city pushed to the edge. People pushed to the limit, and no one's got the guts to stop them. It's collection time, Charlie. Three murders, four rapes, nine acts of random violence. This isn't a neighborhood, it's a war. But there is one way, one man who won't be pushed, Charles Bronson. What's the problem? Now you're going to die. It'll be just like before, Mr. Vigilante, with one important difference. You're going to work for me. People have got to start to fight back and hard. I sent them a message. That's him. I'll take care of him. And now, he's in the middle of a war. See what you've done? You got me mad. In a world gone mad, there is only one law. His. Charles Bronson. Death Wish 3. Bronson's back in New York. Bringing justice to the streets. Charles Bronson. Death Wish 3. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and I have two guests this time, a returning guest and a new guest. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. Uh, Sean, you go first. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Sean Penalber. Y'all have heard me here before. Thanks for having me back, Scott. And Sean brought the next guest to my attention. Introduce yourself, sir. Hi, my name is Rahul Rao. I am a... uh performance artist slash comedian in the city of Houston, Texas, and I really like Charles Bronson. More specifically, I like the Death Wish movies. So when I was told about this, I figured, why not? I get to talk about my favorite Death Wish movie. Yeah, so Sean said that I have this friend. He he really wants to talk about Death Wish 3, which I believe might be the greatest movie ever made. Ever? Uh, Ever. Wow, ever? Uh, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, (laughs) Death Wish 3. I think that's the top three. I would say that Death Wish 3 is the Citizen Kane of the Death Wish series. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't seen 4 and 5 yet, but uh, out of the first three, the third is definitely the best one. Uh, For what it's worth, Sean, you don't need to see 4 and 5. Nor do you need to see the remake that Bruce Willis made. I'm going to disagree with you there. I would check out Death Wish 4. Death Wish 5, maybe not so much, but I would say check out Death Wish 4. Because, yeah, he takes out the cartel in Death Wish 4. Yes, that's where he takes out the drug cartel. (laughs) While working for the drug cartel. Nice. I'm sure... uh, just like every Death Wish movie, there's some really uh, sensitive racial material in there. <laughs> what did you guys really enjoy about Death Wish 3? Um, so, okay. Uh, coming at Death Wish 3 from uh, someone who has gone through the series, more or less, um, my personal relationship to it is kind of interesting because I was able to see all those movies on just like local television because they would air them during the day and I wasn't at school. Um, So that's kind of how I ended up watching all the movies. Uh, Three in particular, the reason I cited is just definitely one of my favorites. I think it's the one where uh, (laughs) 
for they finally sort of find their stride as uh, filmmakers, and Death Wish Three is where the stakes of everything just ramp up to eleven, and everything's just super silly now because we figured out the formula. Paul Kersey uh, has to have something, and something will be taken from him, and then he must go on a killing <laughs> spree. Like, yeah. That that being said, uh, yeah, this one in particular really, really nails like the the vibes. Uh, you said this might be uh, one of the greatest movies of all time. I made. I don't necessarily disagree. However, <laughs> uh, I, I do definitely think that Death Wish Three is probably the most like. If we were to take the '80s and condense it down into media, like. Death Wish 3 is probably the closest we could come to that, this distillation of what the 80s was and what yeah. people's fears were in the 80s. Which is really just like, I'm I'm afraid of weirdos in my neighborhood that make me feel uncomfortable. Which, you know, I'm sure there's a greater thing we could discuss there. But for what it's worth, yeah, people trying to police their own communities and uh, when cops are no help, who do you turn to? Like there is, there is definitely. I would agree with you, Sean. There is like a whole white savior complex with Paul Kersey. Mm-hmm. Well, this the '80s was definitely pro-gun, pro-violence. The, yeah, Reagan sure. was president yeah. at this time, and this movie is set in New York in the the year of the movie, which was '83, '84, '85, '85. Yeah, yeah, but. It looks like it's a dystopian future. This yeah, a little bit. This block in New York, the the uh, the thugs look like like they're out of the Warriors, the movie The Warriors. They're all face yeah, painted yeah. and Straight all that. Like, um, <laughs> they're Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so, but Sean, so what? Was this your first time watching the movie, Sean, or have you seen it before? Before this, uh, now I've seen all. I've seen the first three. And before that, I had never, never seen a Charles Brunson film, ever. <laughs> and so it was a very unique experience. Um, my first thought in that uh, is I think that Charles Bronson would make a great Batman if he were still alive. Or would have made a great Batman. Yeah. Um, um, maybe not to... I don't think he would have made a great uh, physical Batman. But I would have liked him as Bruce Wayne a lot, I think. Yeah, I I, I I could just see it. And then also just seeing him in these movies being this vigilante. Uh, he's such a straightforward, like... Like, uh, when I Googled him, the first question is, uh, is Charles Bronson a good actor? And I think that... <laughs> I think that that kind of really encapsulates the feel. Because it's just like... It, for what he's doing, yeah, it's, it's not bad. It works, you know, like... Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's a man who immediately, like, he figured out what his type was and then just rode that shit all the way to the bank. It was amazing. Yeah. And it but worked. also, yeah, <laughs> I think the fact that everyone asks, it's like Nicolas Cage. Is Nicolas Cage a good actor? Like, hmm, who's to really say? Like, there are moments, yeah, yeah much like in this one, there are moments when, like, uh, <laughs> Charles Bronson is really just like, oh, he's... This is his Oscar moment. This is his speech right here. Uh, but it's also like uh, totally just about like this is a gun that can kill elephants. <laughs> <laughs> that like thirty caliber that they bring out in the movie that that war uh, stolen war property. Yeah. 
you know, just, just my man's out here committing war crimes on the daily for his community. <laughs> In several podcasts I've mentioned, Charles Bronson can act. A lot of people say that he can't act, and I, I totally disagree <coughs> with that. Charles Bronson is a good mm-hmm. actor. Now, later in his life, he fell into these shoot em up roles, which I understand, and he does a great job in them. But if you look at some of his early performances, if you look at his performance in the original Death Wish, it, the, he, yeah. he does a. Yeah. It's, it's very. Before it becomes a caricature of himself, that first Death Wish, he really toes the line between stepping into the vigilante role. And there's a lot of great acting parts in that movie. But now it's just... And that's just, why I thought he'd be a good Batman. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. But now it's just shoot him up, bang, bang, which I love. And you'll notice no cheesy one-liners. No Stallone, no Schwarzenegger. It's just straight off. He, he has to take care of these punks, and he does. <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, I wonder how much of his uh, inability to do one-liners simply is just up to that man's delivery. Because there are a lot of moments in Death Wish Wish 3 where it's very clear that this is a moment played for laughs and hilarity. Like, um, whenever uh, the creeps start, like, breaking into people's houses, but everyone starts making a bunch of Home Alone-style traps. (laughs) That's what I have in my notes. Home Alone trap. Charles Bronson was Kevin McAllister before Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, Absolutely. He's just making a bunch of traps. There's the that one moment when like uh, one of the creeps gets hit in the face, and then he pulls back the board, and like the old Jewish guy is like, "Ooh, what are those?" And in Charles Bronson's witty, pithy moment, he says, "They're teeth." And he's got the biggest <laughs> smile, like the only smile in all of Death Wish. Like, yeah, it's him just like gurning it up over this <laughs> joke that he told <laughs> over this witty thing he said i'm i'm saying witty in the most open air open quotes that i can if you can yeah hear that another moment like that is when uh he's making his own bullets and the guy's like you make your own bullets and he's like yeah for our friends yeah for our friends <laughs> uh, my yep. favorite and i think this was supposed to be funny is Charles Bronson buys a car to bring out the the creeps. They, the the bad guys in this movie are called the creeps. And he parks his car out in the middle of this <laughs> ghetto. And then one he's having dinner and he hears these guys <laughs> breaking into his car. So he walks out. He's like, "What's the problem with the car?" He's like, "It's my car." And then he does. <laughs> He just shoots a point blank range and walks back in to have his cabbage, you know, his corned beef and cabbage dinner. Yes, to it's finish so casual. his dinner. Hey. What's the problem? What? With the car. What's the problem? Just get out of my fucking face. Who are you? We're stealing the fucking car. What's it to you? It's my car. How are you going to die? We heard shots. What happened? I sent them a message. Oh my god! <laughs> he just, they're oh, like, "What he happened?" To... And he's like, "I took care of some things." <laughs> and it's just like, "Oh, okay." We heard, yeah. and they're even like, "We heard gunshots." We're, we heard oh, gunshots. I sent a message. I sent a message. I sent a message. Yeah, and also it's like, oh, we heard gunshots. Uh, apparently, a new thing in this fucking city where gunshots are on the regular all the time. Like, 
yeah, there's that other moment as well where he, the things he does to catch these criminals is so silly. There's that moment when he buys some ice cream and a camera <laughs> and then just walks and lets someone steal his camera just so the, he can shoot them in the back and not even get the camera that they stole. The it's, all a, it's all a MacGuffin. Like, ugh. And then the, the, everyone celebrates every time a creep he is did dead. It. Like, That's the creep. That's the creep that stole my groceries. There, ah. they, he killed the giggler. There is a scene where Charles Bronson blows away a bad guy, and all the people in the neighborhood are dancing around this dead body. And there are children. Yeah. There are children there dancing over this dead body that Charles Bronson just put a bullet in. Uh, yeah, it's these are these are pivotal moments of American culture, man. Like. I don't I do not understand why this movie got why the series of movies were so hot as they were but like it's the 80s man yeah people and you know it's really interesting to think about that too cuz like the first death wish was made in like uh 74 the mid 70s 1974 yeah. so wow we are straight up in the in the hard body american action movie like the heyday of it. Rambo and, like, Rocky and then, like, all the Predator movies and shit are all coming out at roughly around this time because people just want to see uh, men who are pushed to their limit when things go <laughs> too far. Uh, this was also the height uh, uh, of uh, the slasher horror movie as well, the eight, the early yeah. to mid-80s. So this was just a, it was just a height of, of violence, whether it oh, be yeah. slasher movies or revenge movies. Uh, so this was the height of it, and I and Charles Bronson was just at the right place at the right time. I did yeah. a podcast. Uh, this is a canon movie, and I did a podcast oh, on the yeah. canon documentary, and they talk about oh, this movie. Yeah. And it's just how was that? Uh, I know Marina Sirtis. Uh, she plays one of the uh, characters in the in the town. Yeah, Marie, uh, Marina Sirtis. Yeah, she has like this whole thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, Marina Sirtis does not talk too highly of Michael Winner. Uh, the director nope. does not talk highly of him at all in, in that documentary. Yeah, it's um, yeah. There's this moment when like she's just like, "I'm really grateful that I got the role of Star Trek, so I could stop making these awful, awful movies." <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly so like, what she oh, says. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, which is, I mean, that's also very telling to like of the nature of the '80s. And you know, I would. This is a, a kind of. A, a moderate aside, but it it is uh, relevant to the movie in particular. Like, there was a very sort of um, a, a very unnatural obsession in '80s action films with rape and depictions of rape, mm -hmm. and like shit. Even in the first uh, Death Wish, like they really make it uh, as like kind of disgusting to watch as possible, which yeah. is whatever. I understand the nature of like. A stylistic choice like that but it also seemed that every 80s movie every canon movie especially was just like one of the fundamental scenes is gonna be a rape and then we're gonna everything's just gonna go to shit after that but that's gotta be in the first 10 minutes of the movie uh, knowing that that guy is like a weird mega creep it makes me feel even weirder knowing that like that was more or less his modus operandi for just like making and writing these movies they're all very formulaic even that part 
just kind of scary. Yeah, I think it was just their way, like the slasher movie, these movies, mm-hmm. it was a formula of violence and nudity. You had to have some sort of nudity in these movies. Yeah. And the best, I don't, that's a horrible way of saying it, but I, the easiest way to get nudity in your movie is like a, like you said, a gross, gratuitous rape scene. And Forcefully, yeah, Unfortunately. Now, I will say, in the Death Wish movies, there is a declining degree of rape because it's really prevalent in the first one and it's prevalent in the second one. We have the scene in this one, which is n- yeah. not as bad. It's, a, it's, un- it's definitely uncomfortable, but like they are, you can tell that there has been like a backlash towards like, hey, we don't need you to show this stuff. Like maybe hint it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. And then in four yeah, and five, there's, there's no back. rape at all. So I. Th- so they maybe it was uh. Maybe he's the director. Well, I was just about to say that the Michael Winner does not direct four and five, so just take it as you know, take that information as it is. Yeah, Uh, I mean, yeah, like if he if he wasn't a part of those uh, movies, I'm sure people had a much better time with them. That being said, like, oh, you know, (laughs) it's such a it's such a low bar to have as well. (laughs) No rape, check. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Well. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> you Canon. You really did your part. Yeah. But he he really does have uh, what I would call James Bond disease, where essentially every woman in his life is is murdered. Yeah, they're just collateral for this our troubled man to seek retribution. Yeah. Well, he also has yeah. uh, the James Bond disease, where much younger women want to have sex with him. Yeah. Especially in the third movie. Yeah. Well, before we go any, thir- just comes out of we go any further, let's let's sort of the plot, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Charles Bronson, Paul Kersey, gets a call from his friend. Paul Kersey is living in Los Angeles at this time. Mm-hmm. And he gets a call from his friend, so he goes back to New York. His friend is murdered by the creeps. The police catch Paul Kersey over the dead body... They bring him in. The head of the police knows who Kersey is and says, basically says, I'm going to turn you loose, do what you do, and kill all the creeps. Because crime is too high. Because crime Crime. is too high. (laughs) Children are crying, and you want to know why? Because the crime is too damn high. Like, in the ghetto? There's even a point... (laughs) There's even a point in the movie where, like, after Paul has killed a few people... Uh, I think it's after that he shoots the giggler. Like, the police are standing over the body, and they're like, well, crime's been down. I guess we've been doing good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are These are perhaps some of the most inept fucking cops I've ever seen. You, you just took the words <laughs> out of my mouth. This is totally... Another trope of this movie is the inept police force. They killed the giggler, man. They killed the giggler! They had no business doing that. None. It's the new man. The one from the jail. That wasn't smart. No, not too smart. Come on, y'all. Let's move it back. Move it back. Make way. Where are you, man? 
you never forget we need you. It's about time. I'm glad he's dead. He took my pet for three weeks ago. He should have been dead. I'm glad he's dead. Hello, Chief. Christ, there's not much left of this sucker, is there? So how are things around here? Better. I feel more relaxed. It's gotten quiet around here. Our efforts must be having a positive effect on the community. We're getting fewer complaints. I wouldn't let it go to your head, Patrolman Renzel. Looked like a rifle bullet. Witnesses say the shot came from the corner of that block. The guy was a good shot. Better than anyone in our department. Because there's a scene, so the head, you know, the head police chief is like, you know, crime is up, cursey, go in there, start killing everybody. Uh, but then yeah. there's a scene where the police hassle this elderly couple and take their gun away. It's like, we saw you brandishing a gun. You know, we're here yeah. to confiscate. That scene didn't make any sense to me because if the police want crime to go down, why are they hassling the elderly people instead of the punks on the street? I, th- it was just... Because, <laughs> yeah, because the implication is obviously that cops are fucking spineless. Right. Yeah. And yet again, another reason for our man with the... our troubled man with a gun and a death <laughs> wish uh, to enter the scene. It, it's yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse. I, the movie. It's a... Yeah, uh, there is something, I think there is something to that, though. Like, it is the nature of, uh, you know, we we always, everyone's always looking for a savior or some shit like that. Everyone needs, someone's got to be the bad guy, right? Um, Well, have you ever noticed uh, in movies where they have the the black savior character, they're always... Magical and heavenly, and solve problems without violence. And then the white savior yep. is just the opposite, where he just comes in and starts blowing people away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a ugh, it, uh, yet another weird telltale sign of like uh, what society values. But yeah, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> feel like we're getting into the weeds a little bit on this. Um, <laughs> we're getting into the yeah, weeds for so... Death Wish Three. <laughs> I know, right? Like, uh, I'm sure Charles Bronson didn't think that would ever happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so uh, Paul Kersey goes on a government-sanctioned killing spree. Um, and you know, uh, in that moment where like uh, the dude from Star Trek is like, oh, we need your help, Paul. Uh, there was a moment when I was like, oh, is this going to be like a really cool twist where yeah, he's got to kill the police now? Uh, but oh no! Really. The the cops are just like, oh, we need a we need a hired gun. We can't get this blood on our hands. But you're doing the Lord's work. So after he's released uh, to continue on, he goes. Uh, he's going to, back to Charlie's place, and he uh, Alex Winter jumps on that uh, Mar- Maria's car, and he's all like, you know, I, I want this, blah blah blah. And then he's like, I'm going to kill you. And Paul Kersey saves her, and then he walks out of the garage. And the dude Bennett, which he's never met before in his life, is up on, like, the seventh floor. And he just looks out the window, and he's like, oh, hey! Hey! I'll be down in a second. (laughs) Hey, hey, guy. Uh, uh, What's up? That's the dude who who has that fucking giant, like, 50 caliber machine gun in his closet, right? Well, so here's here's what happened. 
he didn't have it. Paul Kersey, Charles Bronson's friend, who he came to visit, that, that those were his. Charles, oh, yeah. And and he goes, and this, and he goes. Oh, he brought him back from the war. How the hell did he get two giant <coughs> machine guns that you mount on the turret of a tank? He has two of them yeah. in a closet, easily unlocked, a in a crime-ridden area. Uh, but how did he get those back from Korea? Uh, he's, they're both easily over five feet tall if we were to just line them up. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he just... He stuck them in his backpack. Yeah. That's, that's how he did it. <laughs> I, I got some carry-on. And, uh, and not only that, when he, like, first tries to use it and it doesn't work, like, I'm surprised that the creeps didn't steal it and, you know, like, use it against them. But, like, it comes back with a vengeance. Well, here's the thing. Uh, no. All the they're weapons... Creeps, they're idiots. Well, the weapons that they have... They're not locked up. They're in drawers or cabinets, places that you could easily find a weapon. The creeps just should come in and just steal, but they never steal a weapon from anybody. Yet they're all armed. Uh, they're at all the end. fucking armed. You, oh, met, fuck. you mentioned Alex Winter uh, of Bill and Ted. He's one of the. This is yeah. one of his early roles. He plays one of the. He plays one of the creeps. He plays one of the bad guys. In each of the first three Death Wishes, there is. Uh, and, and one of the creeps is someone that you would recognize. Name him, name him, Sean. And the first one is Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Oh, and the first one, yeah. Uh, and the second one is Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. Yep. And then in the third, we have Alex Winter. Yes. Yep. And in the and fourth was one, so who was, um, speaking another Star Trek connection, uh, he was the Black Klingon, not the Klingon, uh, he was the Black Vulcan with the ears. Oh, Tuvok? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, uh, he's yeah, one of the I, bad guys in Death Wish 4. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Man, Star Wars really... Uh, Star Trek. I did not realize. Oh, yeah, the the Star Trek. Same thing. I, you know what? Whatever. Star, <laughs> yeah, no, it's Star all same universe. Same. Yeah. <laughs> We're watching um, Death Wish. There Fuck is, you, nerds. There is some uh, insect abuse in this movie uh, because the chief... Hates roaches, and oh, he like hates them. he hates Absolutely them so much that like it has to, they have to take moments out of the movie for him to like kill these roaches right on screen, and it never pays out. Like it, he does it twice, and so I thought there'd be a third beat where like he kills a creep and it's like oh I'm killing my roaches, but it never comes up again. He just kills two roaches because he hates them. Man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's definitely like, oh, this cop wishes he could clean up the roaches, but he can only clean the roaches in his fucking office because he's yeah. weak. Uh, there's uh, all of like the kind of implications about uh, cleaning up the streets get so fucking heavy handed at some point. Um, well, this yeah, movie not even takes it lets us know over and over and over and over again that the creeps are bad. We know the creeps are bad. You don't need to keep showing us that they're bad, that they keep doing horrible things. We got that. Move on. Get to get to cleaning up the streets. Yeah, please. Like, I, uh, I find it very difficult. Well, whatever. That's also kind of emblematic of the 80s, too. Uh, everyone assumed that uh, moviegoers were fucking idiots, so we had to just consistently re-explain stuff again and again. Um, but whatever, I, I wonder, I don't 
think we're necessarily past that particular point in movie history either. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, there is this weird sort of, like, uh, unnecessary repetition, especially for a movie as, like, series as simple as these. Like, there is no reason we need to spend more than 15 to 20 minutes on, like, the setup and then just have 70 minutes of, again, wacky Home Alone-style traps that kill people. Yeah, I, I think they really could have extended the last 30 minutes to, like, make it half the movie, and that would have made it even better. The last yeah. 20, 30 minutes of this movie is just glorious. It's just glorious. Oh, it's just, amazing. Uh, it's amazing. I, it might be, honestly, it might be one of the most entertaining 30 minutes of film ever. Just straight, there's almost no dialogue uh, during this whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's just shoot, shoot them up, bang, bang. Yep, hell yeah. What, I, what else do you need? <laughs> I think really it, it. I called it in my notes. Uh, Paul and Chief take New York, and really, like you're saying, <laughs> the the dialogue is so minimal. I think like the only line is like uh, the chief when he saves him from Alex Winters. He's like, "I got your back, dude," or something like. That. I owe you that one, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, but they they definitely take back New York. Now, yeah, dude. Let me ask you guys this: along with. Uh, People saying that Charles Bronson can't act. They also say that, like, the first Death Wish movie, he was in his 50s already when he did the first Death Wish movie. So this movie, he's in his 60s. Do you think he's believable as a vigilante? Do you think that he was believable that he actually could have pulled that stuff off in real life if it Uh, happened? Uh... Definitely not, uh, <laughs> especially in Death Wish Three, because that man. Oh, there is a chase scene that you can tell yes. they edited yes. so hard. <laughs> <laughs> My man was at a fucking very, very, very light jog. I had the like, same thought. I was like, like, "This guy's too old to be running." Far too old. Like my man had to make sure he wore like sweatpants and a tracksuit, and like the dude is. <laughs> The guy that is running away from them, there's this moment where you can tell he's just like, I'm acting running by making my steps look super high. <laughs> and I am, I, it looks like I'm really hightailing it from this old man. But I, uh, I do think that three would be like the turn of just like, okay, he's getting a little too old to be a vigilante. But I mean, like, really, no one is too old to be a vigilante. So Yeah, especially uh, with a gun, dude. Yeah. Because these are, like, muscular young men who are like, Oh, a 65-year-old man! <laughs> I've got to run away! And I think that's why they had to bring in the big guns, because maybe the age thing, because, like, in the second one is when he, like, he starts getting in more physical fights, and it, it, it starts to become unbelievable, because, again, his age. Uh, and then in the third one, when he's in the jail cell and he has to... Uh, fight his way to the top in five minutes and he fights like four people yeah yeah like his uh his uh ability does not does not seem to clearly reflect like what what this man is actually capable of because i mean uh i suppose that's part of the subversion of uh of the whole uh situation is like oh we don't expect this old fuck to do anything um, 
But oh, it seems it was I who was the idiot. <laughs> it's it's like that fucking meme uh where that guy's having a heart attack and he's like, Oh, I'll call an ambulance, but not for me <laughs> and then pulls out a gun. <laughs> it's the exact same energy as that meme. Yeah. And I love the fact that all the uh, elderly people in that Charles Bronson is protecting is treating Charles Bronson like, who's this fit young man who's come here to save us? Yeah. <laughs> he's only this like four years. He's like four years younger than everybody else. Oh, who, who's this dude? Look at all the youth just emanating yes. from this man. It's just so great. Like again, we brush over it, but like every time he does something, the people celebrating like. When he the, when he punches the first criminal out, and that kid is just behind a tree, <laughs> and he leans out, and he's just like, yeah! 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 <laughs> it's like a Kool-Aid commercial. Yeah! Yes! <laughs> and it's just like, it's that the whole movie, and then it just grows. The whole neighborhood just like, we're gonna take, we're gonna take it back. And they do. Uh, they sure do. I'd like to see a, a sequel, you know? Uh, see how the town is doing after this. Oh, like a post, uh, like a Death Wish three epilogue. Yeah. Well, oh, here, it's like, uh, what is a documentary crew comes in? They're like, uh, how, how is the city now? I was gonna say it's like the El Camino of Death Wish three. Yes. Yes. Well, so <laughs> here's the most hilarious part. So at the end. This city, this town, whatever, this block, it's really a block of New York, is totally destroyed, burnt to the ground, and everybody is cheering. Yes, we took our homes back, and it's just (laughs) burning rubble everywhere. I just thought that was hilarious. And oh he, my god, yeah, uh, and also, what a closing scene, uh, we do have yes. to talk about, we do have to talk about perhaps one of the uh, coolest slash dumbest things, it happens right at the end of the movie too, uh, our, the leader of the creeps um, is, uh, <laughs> so he finally confronts Paul Kersey in his fucking apartment and seems to have the drop on him and uh, <laughs> the the chief of police um and in like a very uh in a moment that i am surprised i didn't see coming even though the rocket launcher was foreshadowed paul kersey just uh whips around picks up a rocket launcher and shoots this dude in the body point blank How bad is it? It's just a nick. I'll call an ambulance. Bulletproof asshole. Just like yours. Stay just like that. You can't have both of us. Let me. And it happens so fast, like... Oh, yeah. It's, uh... (laughs) What makes it especially fucking funny for me is, A, yeah, you're right. The cuts between that moment are so fucking just sped up. But there is a moment, it doesn't even last a second, 
where we see the leader of the creep's face. <laughs> yes, and, like, yes. This fucking thing. It, I, I can't <laughs> even describe it. I, <laughs> but it's like, it, it's so well set up because right before that, he, he comes to the window and then he's about to shoot Paul Kersey and the chief shoots him. And so then he's like lying there. He wakes back up. He's like, ha, bulletproof vest. And then he's like, oh yeah, well bulletproof this. <laughs> you can't bulletproof a grenade launcher. No, hell no, you can't. Uh, so immediately, uh, he gets blown out through this fucking window, uh, which is like, okay, that's pretty tight. And lots of lots of gangsters at this point in the movie have gone out of windows. But uh, we get a shot. We get a shot of this man's fucking burnt, charred to a crisp corpse that's still on fire, and that uh, children and people are all just like, "Yeah, we killed this dude! <laughs> Hell yeah!" And the rest of the creeps look at this body, and then, like a fucking, like a bunch of kids who are just literally like, eh, "I'm just going home. I don't want to play basketball anymore." They, they straight up like <laughs> kick some rocks and are just like, "Oh shucks," and leave. The role play is over, man. Yeah, we're not having fun. Now we have to go to our day jobs again. Well, and then I work the, in accounting. The really hilarious the part thing. of that is so, yeah, so it's the creeps and the townspeople looking at each other, and one of the creeps pulls out a knife, and this woman just takes his hand and lowers it. And they all walk away. It's the most, it's hilarious the way that scene comes off. She's like, no, it's over. And they all walk away. Man, damn, if only, damn, dude. If only all wars could end like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, maybe they should have done that from the fucking beginning. <laughs> <laughs> then they wouldn't be in this predicament. If they just, you know, if someone is oppressing you, just go to them and, uh, slowly make them put down their weapon and say it's over because that always works right yeah or uh what's your face giving out a pepsi what is it kylie jenner oh yeah absolutely uh give me a give me a pepsi dude (laughs) hey the world's problems i'd like to teach the world to sing (laughs) i gave him a pepsi whatever racism is over all right (laughs) yeah the last thing we see in this movie is like the chief of police being like well, you better leave before they come get you, even though yeah. I'm the chief of police. And that's it. They, they yeah. just, <laughs> Paul, Paul Kersey walks away like the fucking, like the end of every episode of The Hulk. Just like, <laughs> oh yeah, you want to hear that music. Dun, dun, dun. Lonely man music. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, just a, I'm just a troubled man. I saved this community, and now I have to go uh, fulfill the death wishes of other communities as well. I mean, oh, if we could, if we take it like that, he is providing a service, and he's not even taking money for it. Like, you know, I suppose that means Paul Kersey's a real stand-up dude. Well, in all of his <laughs> movies, Paul Kersey is flush with cash, so he's got yeah. money coming in somehow, and I, he's flush with he like cash, owns a business. Yeah, he shows up in a bus. Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, the thing he's that's humble. constantly he's made in the movies is that he is he is an architect. I'm an architect. He repeats the phrase, I'm an architect, a shit ton in this movie, too. But, like, uh, Death Wish 1 and 2, his whole thing is like, Kersey, you were in the service? No, I'm an architect. Now, one face that I I did miss seeing in this movie, he was in the first two. uh, I don't remember the actor's name. Vincent Gardino. Vincent Gardino? Yeah, Mr. Mushnick. Yes. 
Well, he died in yeah, two. He's like, so, yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That... His character gets fucked. I must have looked up. away from that. Dang. Lawrence Fishburne no, blows a... him away. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Now, on a side note, the head creep who got blown away with a bazooka, he just died last week. The actor who played it. Oh, like the actor actually died. The actor yeah. actually oh, died wow. last week. Uh, In the same way? Yes. He was... He was a seventy. He's actually he was actually close to the age of Charles Bronson in this movie when he died. Um, Shit, bazooka accident. Yeah, not a bad way to go. No. Yeah, legendary. None of this. None of this dying in a hospital bed. I want to be. I want my ashes blown out all over the city block. Uh, I think they call that a red mist. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Damn, dude. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, this fucking movie. I. Rewatching it was a really good time, um, but yeah, uh, Bronsolino, Charles Bronce, man, uh, still, still very bad. Actually, I, I'm trying to think now. It's just like uh, the cultural fascination with this movie. Uh, for as much as I've been talking about it, and like I can get it, uh, it's still just so hard to understand. Like, why this movie of all movie series? from the 80s made such an impact on people to where, like, I see Charles Bronson and Death Wish referenced on The Simpsons more than I do, like, Dirty Harry and shit. Yeah. Now let's take a look at a young Charles Bronson's brief stint replacing Andy Griffith in The Andy Griffith Show. Where's Otis? He's not in his cell. I shot him. Well, that's... What? Now I'm going down to Emmett's Fix-It Shop to fix Emmett. The only exception being like the the extended bits with uh, McGarnagle. <laughs> you gotta do it for me, kid. McGarnagle. But I don't know, McGarnagle. I'm scared. I still am not. I'm not sure why. Like he is such a cultural touchstone. <laughs> I I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I think he just personifies calm, cool. He's got a coolness about him. Because at the end of the movie, he's got this leather jacket on and this turtleneck, and he he looks really fucking cool while he's mowing down these while he's mowing down these punks. Absolutely. Because earlier yeah. in the movie, they have him in this brown <laughs> Mister Rogers sweater. It's like, oh no, mm-hmm. it, he looked he looked like an old man when he's wearing his sweater. But at the end, yeah. he's got on. These black slacks and turtleneck. He he looks really good. He's literally wearing the like legit the same outfit that Shaft wears. <laughs> oh yeah, I never so, noticed that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, it was another thing too, where I was just like, uh, you're clearly trying to. This is white people's version of like a black exploitation film. <laughs> yeah, I, I could. I was trying to put that into words earlier. I, I agree with that. Yeah, like I mean, it's just a uh, he's he's gonna take care of the streets the only way he knows how with his gun and then with the ability to make sweet love to and women. It, additionally, also how all the lines are just delivered. Uh, yeah, I there is truly like something about that. Uh, <laughs> it is an is a little incredible, but also it is kind of incredulous, like. <laughs> that we are to we are to take anything about this movie 
with even like a a shred of seriousness because it clearly wants us to it wants us to take this movie as like a serious emotional acting endeavor with a a cathartic end that really makes us feel something and it's very clear that that's what they were going for and yet they failed uh, miserably and yet like yeah he was in like the mid 70s to early 80s he was the number one like actor the number one box office attraction uh he got at least like several million dollars per movie for each of these yeah well he got he got like money for these movies like there was he was a household name and for what i've just i've just watched a movie where he didn't do a goddamn thing except like find really uh really roundabout ways to kill people and injure people uh, so uh, yeah, talking about money he did death wish 5 mm. the budget of death wish 5 was 6 million dollars 5 million of that That's less than he, 5 million of that, that was, less than was he made charles bronson's salary so that movie cost a million dollars to make because five million it went to Charles Bronson. Holy Jeez. shit! Yeah, holy shit! Like, fucking a. The man knew how to secure the check. I suppose that's the one takeaway I'm going to take from Charles Bronson <laughs> as like a, you know, a life lesson. I suppose. Well, we were talking about how this movie is unbelievable. To me, the most unbelievable thing of this movie is this attractive woman in her 30s drives out, takes a taxi to the worst part of New York to ask Charles Bronson out. She's uh, she's met him for five minutes and she's like, I gotta have this old man over to dinner and try <laughs> yeah, to seduce yeah. him. It's like, to me, that's the most unbelievable thing in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, it is, uh, it is kind of odd. Well, you know what, I... I don't think it's that odd. It was I, the eighties. Everyone was. Well, it's sex not show, odd right? for it's not odd for movie logic because this this that's just how movies work. Where yeah. the, the the woman who is clearly twenty, maybe even thirty years younger than the male, they you know they're the oh couple. no. <laughs> I wouldn't even say on like a movie logic thing. I just as like purely. Uh, oh okay. Um, <laughs> we need we need this moment. Uh, we have to have like the setup for something because we know if we've uh, if this is a new Death Wish film, I'm sure the surprise will be very meaningful when she dies. But since we've, as Death Wish aficionados, like we've sat through <laughs> two whole movies at this point, where we know my man cannot have women are purely collateral damage in the Death Wish universe. Like there's no there's no saving them. There's no joy from it. They have to die so Paul Kersey can live his yeah. uh, dreams of killing the fuck out of people. But here's the deal. He already had motive because they killed his friend. He already had motive no. to do this. So this is just like... But that's a male. Oh, well, that's yeah. true. No. It's like... Yeah. He's not He's not having sex with his friend, so it's not <laughs> as meaningful. Revenge means like, more oh, when you're having sex with the person. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> then... Then uh, I'm really motivated, you know. And uh, also her death too. Like, what oh, a like it wasn't. Even, it was yes that because it's just like they just release the parking. They punch her, release the parking brake, and then she crashes and the car blows up. Apparently it was yeah. a Pinto. Well, she, Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not even like 
it, it is the fa- the when she crashes, it's like okay, wild, you know, that would really suck, but no one's gonna die from that, uh, unless like they, she was really busting speed, but she wasn't. Like okay, she's gonna probably be injured, might have to go to the hospital or something, but she'll be all right. And then <laughs> he just looks, he stops running and just like looks <laughs> and just like waits instead of keeping fucking going. And then like a minute passes. And then an explosion, giant like, gasoline explosion. Yeah, yeah. It. Uh, I don't know where that came from because there. She didn't hit a tanker. She just hit another car. Yeah. She just hit another car. We don't even care about what happens to the person in the other car that she. <laughs> well, fuck those people that have died in this fireball of death. That's why we need Death Wish 3.5. Yeah, the the Death Wish Redux, man. I'm saying. <laughs> so here's how it works. Male friend, who I've known my entire life, who has killed, don't care. Female, who I've slept with and have known for 48 hours, now I'm angry, now I'm set to kill more. Yeah, hey, it seems like you've, uh, you've understood the assignment there, friend. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. I can't wait to see who he kills in uh, Death Wish 4. Right? Oh, shit, man. I'm just uh, letting you know, he kills everybody in Death Wish. <laughs> yeah, because he really becomes Rambo in this one. Like, this is... I, I, I definitely get where... That was one thing. Uh, when people were telling me about this movie before I saw it, they were just talking about, like, how over-the-top it was. And I thought it was going to be, like, bad over-the-top. But, like, really, it's it's just, like, a different kind of over-the-top that is really entertaining to watch. Yeah. It's a sight to see. Speaking it, of over the I top, would... that movie's in the canon documentary as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Sean, I would totally agree with you. I think uh, this movie, uh, maybe more than any movie that uh, that I've seen, really kind of like is the perfect summation of uh, the word spectacle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like there is... It is... Meat and potatoes, but you know what? Not even potatoes. It's just like here's a steak, and this is this is a steak. It takes ninety minutes to consume, and you're only going to eat this steak. You'll probably yeah. enjoy it by the time you're done with it, but that initial time when you're just wondering, like, I wish I had a little something different, is really gonna. You're really gonna think about those moments in the beginning. I think it's more of Nail here's your steak, and here's your side, another steak. Here's your side. <laughs> yep. Here's your side, yeah. and it's another steak. Here's your side. Yeah, yeah, just like a, a steak salad where steak is the lettuce. Yes, and bacon is and the steak bacon with a thirty is the lettuce, And steak is the croutons. Hell yeah! And, and you get to shoot a gun when you're done. Absolutely. I mean, I would expect nothing less, frankly. At the bottom of the salad bowl is a gun, so you have to eat the bacon and the <laughs> steak to get to the gun. I'm into it. I'm in, yeah, I'm here for it. Why not? Why not? But like you guys uh, said, one of the reasons this... this movie is so enjoyable is, yes, they thought they were making an epic, serious film, you know, making a social yeah. statement of... Yeah, this is the community. This is the community. We have to stick together. Yeah. That's what makes it so good, because they, they wanted us to take it seriously, and you just can't. You just can't. And it's yeah. so enjoyable. And apparently, uh, I was reading, they went through, like, several rewrites of this movie, but then they just went right back to, like, what we saw, in a way. That was, like, the initial was, like, Urban Rambo. 
Also, the uh, the gun that uh, Charles Bronson uses in this movie. Once the movie the, came the big, out, the like, sales of that gun went through the roof. People saw that gun and they started ordering it. The the modified like forty five or something yeah. like that. The super big Magnum one. Yeah. Hell, I be, I mean, yeah, I believe that. Uh, oh, uh, great quote. Hell. After he uses that, because throughout uh, when he gets the gun, he's like, "This will like uh, annihilate anything." You know, it'll like there'll be nothing left. And then he shoots the giggler with it. And when the chief is standing over the body, like you you see a hole through the dude, but he's like, "Oh my gosh!" Like there's nothing left of the guy, and like there's the whole body just right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't believe it. There's just nothing. And yeah, it straight up looks like my man just got uh, peppered with uh, some small grain count bullets. Like, yeah, it was... <laughs> they really oversell that shit. But at the same time, whatever. Like, it's one of those things we gotta just appeal to, like, the old man fantasy of being a man with a gun. <laughs> now, I will say this. The sound quality, when whenever Charles Bronson fires that forty-five, it's it's deep... It's a deep gunshot. It it sounds really good every time he fires oh, yeah, that it's gun. Great. Yeah, the sound the sound design and the foley for like everything was really good. Yeah. Uh, whoever got paid to fucking record the sound of glass breaking deserves uh, a raise like tenfold. Because you mentioned mm-hmm. this before, this movie is eighty percent of people flying through windows, either getting pushed yeah. or getting shot through windows. It's in. It is incredible. It is incredible. Uh, defenestration is seriously like one of the funniest fucking things ever, and I think more movies need that. Just generally, I know what that word means. Defenestration. I know what it means. It means getting thrown oh, out a window. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know what that classic means. word. <laughs> um. I yeah. I think more people just need to be thrown out of windows generally in movies. I think it's a great. Oh, it's a great like little scene always a good moment you know i agree but i'd also with that would like to see less wilhelm screams during <laughs> oh that. yes because they were in this movie too uh it, if you're going out the window that's it if you're going out the window or over a like a balcony it's the wilhelm scream and it's just like yeah. oh come on oh uh, well yeah tight well yeah i mean they need to do that if you're going out of a window you better do a different scream <laughs> But I also can see how how it would be difficult to record a, an actual passionate scream. Yeah, yeah, especially uh, you know apparently when uh, when you fall out of a window, like uh, or when you fall from a high point, you can't really scream because yeah. like your breath just gets taken away immediately. So it's more just like a silent body just fucking going down. It's like how they play a. Uh... That hawk sound. Oh, every time they show a bald eagle, they should just play something completely different out of yeah. when people fall out of windows. Oh yeah, might as well. Might as well just do the fucking hawk sound. Or since we're talking <laughs> yeah. about Citizen Kane, just do that fucking parrot. Do with a parrot. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, you know the reason they put that in the movie. Because yeah, uh, <laughs> everyone was like, "This movie's going to be too boring." Exactly. <laughs> you, you don't need that in this movie. Uh, but that's why no, they put the all. parrot in Citizen Kane. It's like people are going to be asleep. They actually put it in there to shock to shock people awake, if because they thought people would actually be sleeping in their seats in the movie theater. Yeah, it's a <laughs> oh, slow gosh. movie. Yeah, um, but yeah, like 
man, I, I, honestly, I don't really know what the fuck else to say about this movie. Well, it's I, I want to say that time. we were talking about falling out of windows. The stunts in this movie yeah. are really impressive. Oh, yeah. They are, you know, I, this is still, we're in like the the prime time of practical effects. So, yeah, they were, they were great. The people uh, who put their bodies through like so much shit for this movie really, yeah, deserve a lot of uh, commendations. Like... I- I think as far as like and I would say this for like most 80s media content it's cocaine and like I think what we're watching is a result of heavy cocaine use you know what if we have this guy mow down people with a machine gun from a turret of a tank yeah. boom <laughs> oh my god so I have this fucking idea right he's just gonna be an old fucking man but like He's going to have a gun. His gun is going to be so goddamn huge. Oh, my God. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. This, it's great. Oh, my God. Here's $5 million. To me, the most oh hilarious God. juxtaposition is Charles Bronson's got this huge forty five Magnum, and this other guy has a zip gun. <laughs> and it's just like those two shooting, you know, standing next to each other. It's like, yeah, just put your zip gun away, buddy. I mean, whatever. The I suppose that... Um, we could turn this into a larger kind of uh, anthropological discussion about uh, guns and the phallic-centric nature of guns. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> there, there are all these moments when, like, there is definitely, they are going out of their way to make sure that, like, you see the size of Bronson's forty-five every time you want, mm-hmm. like, full you want full length and girth you know what i'm saying and it's pristine it's not even black it's a different color you know yeah he it is always clean too like whatever and you know proper gun ownership usually has like a your gun is mostly clean anyways but like this is it's like he never fucking fires that gun ever he even drops it like at one point i thought he was gonna lose it and he was gonna get shot with it well, even the oh, bullets, yeah. they show the size of the bullets. They get, like, weird camera angles through his fingers looking at the bullet. It's like, look at the size of these bullets. Christ, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, he was just making his artisanal bullets at home. <laughs> <laughs> if that were in this time, he would have uh, put it on Twitch. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. This would have in- been, like, a, a Twitch fucking stream. The whole community would still be all around him, like, "Yeah, we're gonna kill these people!" Yeah, yeah. murder! All of a sudden, it become it takes on a very dark, gritty tone as like it all of a sudden starts looking like one of those fucking ISIS beheading videos. <laughs> Death Wish Six. Death Wish Six. <laughs> this time, it's uh, wishier. <laughs> What I love about this movie is usually in movies like this, the good guys, it's like, oh, you know, when they have to kill, it's like, oh, we're becoming just like the creeps. Not in this movie. Fuck that. We're taking back the streets. We're going to dance around their corpses. We're going to take them out one by one. We don't care. There's no remorse. There's no... Second thoughts. There's nothing. Uh, the, these yeah. supposedly normal everyday people turn into killers like that, and it doesn't affect them at all. We must eliminate the creeps. <laughs> we got to get rid of the creeps because crime is up fourteen <laughs> percent. Yes, and there's the standard 
cliche of the police chief. Look, I'm getting tired of this shit. Stop sitting on your ass. I'm a cop and my hands are tied. What am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, what am I? Yeah, it's just fucking... Like we said up at top, it's some of the most inept police <laughs> in this fucking city. Three murders, four rapes, eight muggings, nine acts of random violence, some of the most orderly drug traffic in the city, more robberies than I care to mention, broken storefront windows, fire bombings, all this within a six square block area of Sutter and Belmont. I could qualify that as a riot. This isn't a neighborhood, it's a war. What are we doing about that, Captain Stearns? Well, we know it's gang-related. We put more uniformed officers out, put more cars on patrol. We increased our real effort 15% in the last month. And tell us the results. Reported crime is up 11%. Ah, man. Uh, It just makes you, uh, like, all the scenarios I can think of of just, like, stuff like that happening today, you know, like... Yeah, it it's very disheartening if we have to take this take this film in the context of now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to say I mean, if this film was realistic at all, Charles Bronson would have been dead within the first 5 minutes. Um, yeah, he would have either had a heart attack or <laughs> cuz he or, dodges so many bullets in this film. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. so many people are shooting directly at him and he's not even moving. He's like you know, taking time to aim directly, and then, like, he one-hit kills everyone. Yeah, he's got, uh, he's got amazing just, like, auto-aim or some shit. Yeah. Or apparently every creep uh, took the Stormtrooper school of shooting a gun. He's he's hacking. He's hacking, bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This movie, y'all. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, uh, so final thoughts on this movie. What do you guys think? Uh, I will say, final thoughts, go watch this movie. Ow, fuck. Uh, go watch this movie. Um, but remember, when you watch this movie, you need to, A, remember that it is a product, very much so it is a product of their time. Uh, B, don't expect, like, anything good. Don't expect anything <laughs> good. And if you go in with that expectation, like, you will be more than pleased with what you get. Uh, yeah uh, other than that though like ugh, you can watch it or don't I will recommend it for uh, for the mega nerds <laughs> but like for regular folks whatever you can take it or leave it <laughs> yeah if, I, I would completely agree with everything you said uh, and especially that just like this is definitely a movie for people who like the the avid film goer you know like they're you're gonna enjoy this movie because uh, it's just it, it's so over the top, you know. Like it, uh, it it's a watch. I, I, I'll say it's a, it's definitely a watch. Yes, I enjoy yeah. this movie very much as well. It is definitely a watch. Uh, if you, I mean, if you're a Charles Bronson fan, of course you got to see it. And if you're just a fan of eighty schlock, this movie is right up there with all of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this is definitely one of those. If I were to. If I were to list out some of my, like, favorite 80s movies, not necessarily good ones, but, like, favorite 80s movies, this one would definitely be in that top five for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what do you guys want to promote? Any websites? Okay. Um, so, actually, I have 
I have things to promote for the first time in a really long oh, time. Oh, well, go ahead. Who? It's all yours. Yeah, so, so uh, like I said, my name is Rahul Rao. You can find me on Instagram at Coyote Bloodbath, C-O-Y-O-T-E-B-L-O-O-D-B-A-T-H. Um, I have some music performance art stuff coming out uh, potentially soon. However, the thing that is... Uh, well, when when is this episode going to come out? Uh, this will come out. Uh, it'll come out next week. So it'll come out uh, near the beginning of December two thousand twenty-one. Perfect. Okay. So whenever you guys are hearing this, hopefully, if you're hearing this before December seventeenth, twenty twenty-one, uh, the. Uh, comedy show that Connor Clifton and I used to uh, organize and run together called You Now Have the Floor is coming back. Yo! Um, yep. December 17th at Midtown Bar and Grill. Uh, tickets are going to be $10, I believe, though uh, we only do stuff at the door. We don't do online shit. Um, but yeah, December 17th. I only kind of just figured we, we kind of hashed it out uh, finally last night and... Yeah, everything's going to be great. Uh, you now have the floor, for those who are interested, uh, is a town hall-style comedy show, a la, you know, Gilmore Girls or Parks and Rec, where uh, we have comedians uh, come in character as citizens of the small town of Hosewater, Texas, and you as an audience member are coming in to see the inner workings of our small town and the very local politics that happen with our small town and all sort of goofy silliness. Um, it's just a, it's just a fun comedy show. Uh, and we haven't, we haven't, uh, done one of these in a long time and it kind of taken us a minute to be comfortable with like venues and stuff again, but mm -hmm. it's coming back. So Yeah. Go to that. Go to that, please. Like, please make it worth it for me to return to performance. <laughs> That's exciting. Heck yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. I um, I did not, uh, again, normally, had I not had the conversation uh, with the about organizing it and stuff yesterday, I wouldn't be able to say it. But, like, everything has been booked. All the actors and performers have been booked as well. Like, shit, dog. It's... Got a, a couple of weeks. I'm so happy. Like, ugh, I cried a bunch yesterday when I was just like, I finally had a creative project to work on again. Uh, like, yeah, not that I don't, uh, I haven't been creative, but it was nice to be like, yo, this is a, a show I put a lot of time into. We've been doing it for a year and a half, and then a pandemic just shit on everything. Mm. So... Yeah, to be able to do this again is awesome. Uh, sorry, ups, I'm, I'm gushing about this too much, but it no, is G ups, easy. dude. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that's what I got. That's what I have coming up because I can say that now. All right, Sean and you. Uh, yeah. Uh, all the same networks and stuff. Uh, if you'd like to look at all the art that I collect from people I meet, you can go to drawbook.net. Uh, uh. I'm about to finally catch up. Sorry, I've been behind on that. I'm editing all the photos now, the past books. Uh, you can, if you want to follow me on Instagram, look at Ceilings. That's at the Art of Ceilings. Uh, if you want to listen to my music, that's Hood a Thunk, W H O apostrophe D space A space T H U N K question mark. Uh, my latest album, uh, Vibrations Between and Beyond, is out. Uh, please check it out. I'm very proud of this one. Uh, 
I think a lot of people might like it. Uh, and my podcasts are on hiatus right now, but they're still there. You can still go listen to them uh, if you'd like to. I'm just waiting for some more income so I can continue to pay uh, my guests that come on. So if you're into that and would like to hear more, then send a donation my way, and uh, I can get that into their pockets. All right. Well, uh, thank you, gentlemen, for talking about uh, Death Wish 3. I had a great time doing this, and it just gave me a chance to watch that movie again. Before we go, now, Sean, you guys are both musicians. What did you think of the music by Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, the mu- uh, the music of the movie? Jimmy really? Page did uh, the music this of this movie. A Jimmy Page soundtrack. Well, so that's the thing, right, is that uh, I do not, I did not like the soundtrack for this at all. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't it, even notice it. I, I can't say that it stood out at all. Yeah, I didn't like it because it reminded me too much of... Uh, it reminded me too much of the show Oz, and I think the music in Oz is like some of the dumbest shit ever. Because <laughs> it's like, it got all these like sort of dramatic guitar stings and stuff. That final little just like ripping rock song right at the end with this montage of hell, like pretty awesome. But up until that point, it's just like uh, weird funk stuff. We get like a drum sting when someone dies. Yeah. <laughs> it was very background, very background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, while, while I appreciate uh, Mr. Page's work, um, uh, that definitely played uh, second fiddle, second fiddle to the rest of the movie. Well, that's surprising to hear. Yeah, right. Like, it's a uh, had I had like that information not been known to me. Like the other part is that you wouldn't even recognize it. The man yeah. is so, at least uh, in this, it's so like bereft of style. That yeah, the music just is very unmemorable to me. Outside if, of the moments that I kind of cringe at, you know what I mean. If I had known that before I went into the movie, I definitely would have paid attention more. But uh, I yeah, I barely noticed it. All right. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you guys for being on the podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll see everybody next year on the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for having us on. Cool. And that's episode. That's it. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. Uh, No matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Better get going. I'll buy you a few minutes. Get out of here. I'll be after you.
This has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast.